Our prayer is that the Lord would speak to us. And having sung that, we turn now to his word. For it's by the ministry of his word, blessed by the Spirit, that he answers that prayer. And you can see in your bulletin that we're turning this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We can get our bearings a little bit as we're turning there. Our theme in this sermon series of late is the habits of grace. The habits of grace, the Christian life that we're called to live, it is a life of experiencing the grace of God. And we do experience it in part as God graciously, kindly smiles upon our regular efforts, our habitual, rhythmic efforts to seek and serve him. Thus, the habits of grace. And lately in our sermon series... We're focusing on the elements of worship that make up the church service on Sunday mornings because those are habits in their own way. What exactly do we do as a matter of routine between 9 and roughly 10.20 a.m. on Sunday mornings when we gather in this room? So last week, the particular worship habit that we focused on was singing. And remember, we turn to Ephesians 5 to think about that. Paul says there, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, one aspect of that Spirit-filled life is this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, Ephesians 5. So we ought to sing. We ought to sing from our hearts, Paul says. We ought to sing to the Lord above all. And yet, even when we're singing to the Lord, we're also addressing one another. We are instructing and encouraging one another by the songs that we sing. So that was last week, singing. And that brings us to this week. Praying. Prayer is also a part of our Sunday morning worship services. And in fact, as you think about our order of service, it's the very next thing that happens. We are sort of moving in order at this point in our series. After the call to worship, and then after the opening hymn, at that point we pray. And then we keep praying all throughout the service until it's done. And of course, it's not like that comes as a surprise. It's not like anybody's going to walk in here on Sunday morning and be shocked, shocked to find that prayer is part of the service. Of course it is. But still, even though it's not a shock, even though we're accustomed to it, still, as we sometimes like to say, there's a lot to be said for revisiting first principles. There's a lot to be said for reminding ourselves now and then why we do the things we do, especially the things we do as a matter of habit, including praying as a part of this service on Sunday morning. And before I read our passage for us, I do want to underline that 
What we're talking about here this morning is prayer as an element of our worship service on Sundays. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, later on in our sermon series, we'll get to prayer as something that we do on our own and in our families Monday through Saturday, because that's important, and we'll get there eventually. But this morning, we've got a slightly different focus. This morning, we're talking about prayer as an element of these Sunday morning worship services. Our Westminster Confession of Faith has a whole chapter on the church's worship. It's chapter 21 in our confession, and it's entitled, Of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Chapter 21 in our confession. And after a few preliminary sections about worship, the very first thing that's mentioned that ought to be part of the church's worship is prayer. Prayer is mentioned first at that point. So listen to our confession of faith, for this is what we confess. Quote, prayer with thanksgiving, being one special part of religious worship, is by God required of all men. And in order that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and if vocal, in a known tongue. And then it says this, prayer is to be made for things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. So that's what our confession of faith confesses about prayer, in particular prayer in worship when the church Gathers. And of course, they point to a number of Bible passages to back that up. And there are so many places you can go in the Bible to, to back up those statements about prayer and about the importance of it. For example, Psalm 65, verse 2, is one of their proof texts. Because that's the verse where it says, O oh, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. Psalm 65, verse 2. It's almost like it's one of God's names. You who hear prayer. They also point to Philippians 4, 6, where it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. One more. They also point to 1 John. 1 John 5 where it says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. 1 John 5. And of course, any one of those passages, and so many more, would be a great place to go to, to reflect upon prayer and to learn about it. We're turning to 1 Timothy 2. Why? Because of what I was saying before, our subject this morning isn't prayer in general. Our subject today is prayer as an element of what we're doing right now, which is our worship service on Sunday mornings. And that seems to be what Paul 
is focusing on in 1 Timothy 2. Paul's giving Timothy instructions about the corporate life of the church, and he's saying prayer ought to be part of it. That, that seems to be what's going on at this point in the letter, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One is what Paul says immediately after our passage this morning. I'll read for us verses 1 through 7. Right after it, Paul says this, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then at that point, he goes to talk about men and women in the corporate life of the church. This isn't about private prayer here in 1 Timothy. And you can also tell it from what he says a little bit later. A little bit later in chapter 3 of the same letter, after he talks about prayer, and then he talks about the elders of the church, and he talks about the deacons of the church, he says this, chapter 3. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's chapter 3. So again, Paul's not talking about private spiritual disciplines here. We're going to get to them in our sermon series. Just you wait. But here, Paul's talking about the life of the church, and he's saying prayer ought to be part of it. And here in chapter 2, he's saying this is what it ought to sound like. These are the kinds of things, he's saying, that you can bring to God when as a church you go to God. So listen to it now. 1 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we would practice now what is about to be preached. For right now, in these moments, we bow before you as a congregation in prayer. And it is our prayer, what we sang a few minutes ago, speak, O Lord. We love the sound of your voice. We love the light that emanates from your word. Would you grant us eyes to see that light? Would you grant us ears to hear your voice yet again, that we might walk by it, trusting in it? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember a few weeks ago, that Sunday morning, 
when our subject was the call to worship, the very beginning of the service. Remember how I, I got us into it that day. I said, if you had the opportunity to meet some famous person, someone whose work you've admired, someone who's achieved heights in their field, someone who's known far and wide, someone that a lot of people out there would prize an opportunity to meet, if you had that opportunity to meet them, it would be perfectly natural for you to be wondering in the back of your mind, and you might even say so, you might even ask it out loud, does this person really want to meet me? How can I be sure that this interest is is shared, this interest is mutual? And I said then, imagine how reassuring it would be to be told, don't you understand, they asked for you. Asked for you to come and meet them. Asked for you by name. And they're in that room right now, through those doors, waiting for you. Don't you understand? They called for you. So that was a few weeks ago. When we were thinking about the call to worship at the beginning of the service. Well, today, we can take it a step further. Thinking about prayer. Can't you also imagine that when you've been reassured like that, that they asked for you by name, that they called for you personally, can't you imagine that at that point you would still need some reassurance, some guidance? Because you still might say, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about when I get in there. I might be awestruck just being in this person's presence. I might be intimidated. I might be tongue-tied. What, what if I can't Speak. What if I go in there and I just kind of freeze up because I don't know what to say? And that's when you're reassured again. Because that's when the person who's about to usher you through those doors says, Relax. It's okay. Here are some things that he's interested in hearing about from you. Here's some guidance. And really, the main thing that he's interested in is you. It's hearing from you about what's on your heart and mind. It's hearing from you about what you've come to think of the work that he's done. Relax. It's okay. And with that, with that guidance, with that extra reassurance, you're ushered through those doors. It's still intimidating. It's still slightly fearful. Of course it is. It ought to be. But what a, what a world of difference it makes to have been given that guidance about what to say, including being given that freedom to go through those doors and to open your mouth and speak. And brothers and sisters, prayer is just like that. And I mean prayer in the worship service on Sunday mornings is just like that. So at first, it's tremendously reassuring to hear the call to worship at the top of the hour. It reminds us, as we've discussed, that 
God has called us into his very presence. And then when it comes to praying in the service, we've been reassured again. We've been guided again because God has spoken about prayer in his word. We can approach the throne of grace as a congregation having been guided as to what we can say to God who sits on that throne. So yes, he's still fearful. He's still God. And so it's still right and natural that we approach his throne with godly fear. But he's also our father. And so we rightly approach that same throne with childlike freedom because our father has told us that he can. And that he actually, it's a staggering thought, but he actually delights in hearing from us about what's on our hearts and minds, about what's going on in our lives, and about his own glory, for we see all things in the light of his glory. And, and we get some of that here in 1 Timothy 2. So let's take a look at what Paul has to say here. Let's stop and think about what we can learn from him. Take a look at 1 Timothy 2 again. Verse 1. Paul says, first of all. So clearly, prayer is a leading theme for Paul. As he thinks about the corporate life of the church. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, on the one hand, this is not meant to be an exhaustive catalog of every category that goes into the church's prayers. There are some things that Paul does not mention here, and that's fine. He doesn't mention prayers of praise, and that's okay. He doesn't mention prayers of confession, and that's okay. There are other Bible passages that do. We're not relying upon 1 Timothy 2 to say it all. So on the one hand, this isn't meant to be exhaustive, but on the other hand, Paul is piling up the terms here. He's giving us a sense here of the richness of the church's prayer. Just the fact that he, he strings together all of these terms that, that overlap with one another gives us some sense of the richness of our prayer life as a church when it comes to seeking God's blessing and acknowledging Him for the blessings He's already given. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. Supplications. A word that pictures us on our knees before God. We are not proud. And then prayers. A word that pictures us speaking to God. Voicing our hearts and minds. We are not silent. And then intercessions. A word that captures our seeking God's favor on behalf of others. We are not self-absorbed. And then finally, thanksgivings. A word that reflects the fact that we bless God as the blesser. We are not earthbound. We see more than what meets the eye and is placed in our hands. We look up with the eyes of faith and we see the blesser who's blessed us and give him thanks. 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. Remember that verse from James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Well, if that's true, and of course it is, then every blessing that we need, we can seek from God. And every blessing that we've already received, we can give thanks to God for it. As Paul puts it over in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So we can take that and and flip it and make it positive. We are mindful of the fact that every blessing that's ours we have received from God, and that is expressed in the way that we seek his face and give him thanks for how he's cared for us. So supplications... Prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. And then right after that, verse 2, he gives us an example. Here's here's one of the things that we can and ought to be praying about as a church. Look at verse 2. After he piles up all of those terms in verse 1 to give us a sense of how wide-ranging our prayers should be. Well, in verse 2 he says, Our prayers should be so wide-ranging as to reach people who are at the very top. The very top of civil government. What does he say in verse 2? He says, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See that? Verse 2. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul's saying there, pray for people who are in authority. Pray for people who possess civil authority. Pray for them that they would exercise their authority in such a way that Christians are free to live Christ-honoring Christian lives as they ought to be. That's the idea. We're not looking for our religion to be specially favored by the government. We're not looking for our faith to be officially approved by the civil authorities. All we're asking, all we're praying for, is that those who are over us with civil authority, that they would wield that authority well and wisely so that Christians are free to live Christ-honoring Christian lives as we ought to be. That's what we're asking. And remember, Paul's writing this at a time when the powers of Rome would have scoffed at the suggestion that this apparently insignificant new Jewish sect was the one true faith, but Paul can still say pray for them. Pray that they'd rule well in such a way that Christians are free to live well, as we ought to be. And Paul can say that. He can say, pray for them to that end. Because of what the wise man says back in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. 
And that's true whether the king's a believer or not. The king, the president, the prime minister, the governor, the mayor, the sheriff, the dog catcher, whatever. This has nothing to do with that person's Christian faith or lack of it. God can rule, and he does rule, sovereignly, mysteriously, providentially, over all things, including hearts and minds and wills, including the hearts and minds and wills of those in power, apart from the Christian faith that may or may not reside in those hearts and minds and wills. And that's why Paul, here in 1 Timothy 2, can say what he says about praying for them, so that we who know Christ would be freed up as we ought to be. So there's that. The church's prayer ought to be so wide-ranging as to reach people at the very top, kings even. And then, notice what Paul goes on to say next, beginning at verse 3. Because what Paul goes on to say next is, the church's prayers are also so wide-ranging that they have in view, you might say, the ends of the earth. The church's prayers are so expansive because the church has in view the salvation of all kinds of people all over the world. Look at verse 3. What does Paul say? He says, this is good. In other words, that we pray like this. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So you see the the connection here between what Paul just said and what he says here. The church's prayers should go to the very top, kings, because the grace of God goes out to the limits, all people. That's the connection. The church's prayers should go to the very top because the grace of God goes out to the laments. Now, Paul is not saying there that each and every individual who's ever lived is going to end up saved. That's not God's purpose. But what Paul is saying is that it is God's purpose to draw all sorts of people to himself, Jews and Gentiles alike. And Jesus is the only one, the only mediator in whom that salvation is to be found. And and Paul says that's what he himself was tasked to preach. And so we should pray for those who are in authority so that we who know Christ would be free to bear witness to that gospel with our lips and our lives. That's the idea here. So verses 1 through 7, Paul's saying that the church family ought to be a family that prays together, which means that the meetings of the church, like this one right now, the meetings of the church for worship ought to be gatherings in which we get on our knees together spiritually, 
and lift up all sorts of needs and concerns and thanksgivings to God, including praying for people in power and doing that because the gospel of his grace reaches far and wide. That's what Paul is saying here about prayer in the church. And let me say this too, by the way, we get a little glimpse of this in action over in the book of Acts. Because this isn't just a matter of what the apostles taught, it's also a matter of what the apostles modeled as they led the early church. The early church lived like this, they functioned like this, they worshipped like this, and we get a glimpse of it over in the book of Acts. In the earliest days of the Christian church, not too long after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, when the church of the risen Christ is this brand new fledgling movement in Jerusalem, it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They devoted themselves. This new fledgling movement of, of, of devotion to the risen Christ, they devoted themselves to their spiritual life together, and prayer was a part of it. Of course it was. They were devoted to it. And what Paul's saying here to Timothy Instructing, counseling Timothy as a pastor is to say, Timothy, make sure that the people you pastor, that this is part of their life too, that they're devoted to it as well, to praying together. So that's what we've got here in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. Let let me say a little bit about how we can bring all this to bear upon our life as a congregation and, and how it ought to shape your own approach to our life as a congregation and our gatherings on Sundays. So lately we're back in the habit here at New Hope, and I think it's a wonderful habit, of all of the elders of our congregation taking turns in the worship service, leading us in prayer. And there's that one prayer that that's noted there in your bulletin, a prayer of supplication and thanksgiving. When we reach that point in the worship service, when I'm up here leading that prayer, or one of the other elders is, today it was Steve, when one of us is is leading that prayer, when that's happening, take heart. We're standing on very solid ground. The God of the church has called us as a church in his word to cast our cares upon him and to give thanks to him. We're standing on very solid ground when these prayers are being prayed. You don't have to worry that God doesn't want to hear from us. God has called us to his throne. We're simply heeding his call. So that's the first thing to say. Take heart. God has has called us to his throne. And then the second thing to say is this. When we get to that prayer in the service, lean into it. It's true, you're, you're listening 
to one person speaking, but the reality is you're listening as one who's participating. And so lean into it, whatever your physical posture might happen to be there in your seat. Spiritually, lean into it. Listen. Listen with faith. Listen with an amen in your soul. Listen with compassion in your heart for those whose needs are being set before God. So yeah, there's just one voice that's being heard in the room at that point. Today it was Steve's. But make no mistake, Steve's voice in that prayer is the voice of the congregation. So let's all lean in in those moments. God has called us to this, and, and we're, we're in it together. And then the next thing to say is, take God up on it. The God of the church, think about it, has called us as a church to lift up all sorts of needs and concerns and thanksgivings. Well, let's take him up on it. It, It's not like we've got to mention in that prayer of thanksgiving and supplication absolutely everything that's on our hearts and minds on Sunday morning. And even the things that we ought to be praying about regularly, it's not like we've got to be praying about each and every one of them each and every Sunday in succession, for example, praying for civil governments or praying for this or that missionary work that our church supports. There's freedom here that we enjoy as a church in prayer Sunday after Sunday. But my point is this, if there's something that's weighing on you or some blessing that's blessed you in your personal life, in your family's life, And it seems like the kind of thing that we can take to God together as a church, let me know. And we'll include it in that prayer on Sunday morning. Our God is our Father. And our Father loves to hear the united voice of his children at his throne. That's one of the things I've always loved about what our shorter catechism says about prayer, as as it's unpacking the Lord's Prayer, including the opening words, Our Father in Heaven. And our shorter catechism says this, those opening words, the preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Our Father, which art in Heaven, that preface teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence, as children to a father able and ready to help us and that we should pray with and for others. Isn't that beautiful? And, and I've often thought that so many of the questions and the difficulties that we have about prayer can be resolved in our hearts and minds. It doesn't make prayer easy, but can be resolved if we just grasp onto that idea that we're children speaking freely to a Father who loves us and who loves the sound of our prayers, including when we pray as one, as a church. So let's take him up on it. Paul Paul piles up the terms, right? Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. Paul is effusive with his vocabulary. Well, then, shouldn't we be effusive 
in the way we heed the call and avail ourselves of this gracious divine summons. We don't need to hold back. Let's not hold back. Let's take him up on it. And then one more thing. I'll wrap up with this. The the title I gave to our sermon this morning is The Church Family That Prays Together. The Church Family That Prays Together. And you know how it goes. You know how it ends. The saying usually goes, the family that, you know, blanks together, fill in the blank, whatever it might be, the family that does this or that together stays together. That's how the saying goes. Well, isn't that true today? Isn't that true when it comes to the church as a praying people? New hope, are we going to stay together? I mean, are we going to hold on to one another in faith and hope and love? Are we going to press on together from our past into our present, into our future? Well, then, let's pray together and with each other and for each other when we worship God on Sundays because there's nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like prayer in worship. Prayer that you've leaned into. Prayer that you've added your amen to. There's nothing quite like prayer in worship for one another. And for the cause of the gospel. To give us a sense of common cause. And identity. And commitment. And compassion. The church family that prays together. By the grace of God, with the blessing of God, that family stays together. May it be so. May it be so with us. And amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do draw near to your throne now. As one. As one church family. As children drawing near to a father. And we pray that you would smile upon, smile upon us as we've heard your word, that you would cause it to take root and bear fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.